Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us? How do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like Hughes vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues will you use today and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a chief enrollment officer and a leadership practitioner in higher education, and I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guests. In season two, we're focusing on extraordinary, impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season two is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, why certain experiences have extraordinary impact. I highly recommend it if you've not had a chance to check it out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into guest introductions. Today's guest serves as the Vice Provost for Enrollment Management and Dean of Admission at Carnegie Mellon University. During her career, she has held leadership roles at a number of large public universities. She found her passion in college access work early in her career in Arizona, but was drawn to enrollment management for the impact that she could have in leading with an institutional commitment to college access. So without further ado, let's welcome Chris Wong Davis to the show. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy. Uh, and I hope my audience is just as happy to have you uh, on our show and for you to be willing to just share your experiences with us. Uh, I'm, I'm super, super geeked for this opportunity, super geeked for the conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm I am thankful that you asked me to be here. Hopefully I have something to impart that might be useful to somebody. <laughs> So for our audience, uh, as a reminder, Chris and I had a great opportunity to connect ahead of time to think critically about, you know, her stories that she would want to share. And what I can say is I believe you all are in for a treat in terms of, of what we came up with based on the, the many stories that have helped shape uh, Chris and the type of leader she is and the type of leadership she'll continue to be for the amazing community over there at Carnegie Mellon. And so without further ado, Chris, we're going to go ahead and dive in into uh, our, our leadership narratives and stories. And so the first leadership moment we're going to dive into, Chris, is under the theme or the auspice of uncomfortable conversations. And so I'm going to turn the keys over to you, walk us through that story and how it shaped you as a leader. Sure. I think this is probably one of the hardest things about leading is uncomfortable conversations. And this story actually is about trying not to judge our leaders who have to handle some of these uncomfortable conversations when you're not in the room to hear the uncomfortable conversation. I often share with some uh, more junior colleagues that it's easy to criticize when you're not in the seat. And I can't say that I haven't done that myself earlier in my career, but as you move through, you oftentimes see that perspective differently and how those conversations unfold that you cannot share out, nobody else will know about, but just how difficult that is to navigate sometimes. And so the story I'll share is really about what turned out was a very uncomfortable situation for me at the time that turned into several uncomfortable conversations, but navigated through. And that was earlier in my career, 
I was working in an office that was having an event and my supervisor was there and my supervisor's supervisor was there. A uh, little disclosure, my supervisor's boss and I have had a longstanding relationship. I know the individual very well. We were coming to the end of the event. Most people had left. There was a line of people left, but it was for a financial aid question. And at that point, I didn't feel well enough informed to try and help answer financial aid questions. And my supervisor's boss and I were having a side conversation. My supervisor then started yelling at me across the room about being a slacker and not doing my job and why wasn't I engaged and get to work. And her supervisor was there witnessing this and watching it unfold. I was beside myself embarrassed. Her supervisor said, I'm going to handle this. Let this go. Just go ahead and do what's being asked of you. And I said, I need to let you know tomorrow is my annual review. So this, it couldn't have happened at a more complicated time. The relationship with the supervisor all along had been challenging. And I'm not the only one for whom that kind of relationship with the supervisor was challenging. And in that moment, I felt a little bit on an island, but her, my supervisor's boss said, I'm going to have a conversation. Just leave it at that. Just don't worry about it go to your review tomorrow, have your review conversation. If it's brought up, it's brought up, have that conversation. If it's not brought up, you don't have to bring it up. It's up to you whether you want to put it on the table as part of your review, if you want to handle it separately, which was really good advice. Oftentimes I'm a very direct person and I would want to say, look, I need to understand sort of how that unfolded and understand better how that could, how I could have helped, how that could have been a better situation. I went into my review. It wasn't brought up. I decided not to bring it up. Actually, my supervisor never, ever addressed that situation with me, which to me felt a little bit more uncomfortable than it would have been to have had that uncomfortable conversation. And it was formative to me in the moment also that I should have likely brought it up myself because in my seat now, I really want staff, if something has happened, to feel that they have the trust and relationship with me to bring up an uncomfortable conversation. Now, I did not have that with that particular supervisor, which is likely why I made the choice that I made. But I try to foster in my leadership the ability for my team if they feel uncomfortable, if they feel like I haven't done something, if they feel like something has gone wrong that they need to talk about, that my door is open and I'm willing to listen and not prejudge. Likewise, I never knew what my supervisor's boss said about that situation. And I never really knew what was going to happen with all of it. I knew it had hit very sensitively with that my supervisor's boss, because that was not the leadership style that was engendered by that individual. As it turns out, again, this is a piece of advice. I think things sometimes take time to unfold, but they do resolve themselves. And so what I would say to so many individuals is that the supervisor I was working for that I was having a challenge with 
no longer supervises staff. The individual has been moved into multiple different positions and doesn't supervise staff anymore. And I think that really was the start of the realization that this person wasn't a great supervisor, might have great initiative, great ideas, but just not a good supervisor. And so I think I can trust that what happened was the individuals went back and said, over time, we need to make an adjustment. We need to think about the role of this individual if these relationships aren't going well. So that way they could then challenge and address the supervisory issues that were happening without my knowledge ever about what was happening behind scenes. So again, that don't judge what you don't know is happening behind the scenes and also respect that things don't happen that quickly when something's trying to be resolved. Chris, thank you so much for the in-depth level of sharing with the whole experience. Um, as I think through the narrative and, and things that stood out to me, uh, and maybe they did as well for our audience, is it's one kind of this notion of navigating things one-to-one in private versus showcasing in public, right? And and so while I can't speak to the, the relationship and the depth of the relationship that you may have had with that said supervisor at that time, I can tell you how my body reacted in hearing the narrative, uh, specifically, not only in terms of in front of other uh, members of the community, but also in terms of, of the prospective students and families that would have been in attendance and in line um, yeah. and seeing somebody maybe chastised in that way, where that could have been handled uh, in a variety of different ways. But in the way in which I think about leadership, it could have been handled behind closed doors. You know, the other piece that that stood out to me is is you talked about the the what we would know as the annual performance review or evaluation. And the piece that stood out to me as I think about the ways in which I've engaged um, people I've been blessed to lead over time is, is, you know, one, nothing in the annual review to me should show up as a surprise for the person that you're having the conversation with. And so whether there are quarterly conversations directly tied to the annual performance evaluation or at minimum a mid-year assessment to do a, a temperature check, engage on how things are progressing, if that supervisor had had other instances where maybe they felt like Chris could have operated differently, could have contributed differently, or maybe had signal signs of being lazy or lacking, um, then it necessarily wouldn't have come up as a surprise if they would have had those other moments of engagement. And then the the last piece that kind of stood out was your reference of how it shaped you as a leader. And I kind of wrote approachable and culture, right? And so if if there's an opportunity to contribute to and I say contribute because everybody isn't necessarily in the position to shape culture um, and and be the lead ambassador and champion for the culture that they want to have in their areas, you can contribute to the culture and contributing to that culture says, hey, I want to be approachable. If there is a challenge, I want you to feel comfortable having that direct dialogue with me um, so that there's time to have a direct conversation. Each party can digest it. And also as a leader, having that opportunity to then self-assess and evaluate, okay, this is what was said. This is what the experience was. How do I have time to digest what my role actually was in it? And my perception, in addition to how it may have made the other person feel, because I think that at times we we step away from 
the feelings and the emotion of it, and we're just navigating the the technical aspect of the situation, the transactional portion of it. But sometimes it's the raw emotion that also is impacted. And so really thinking about that. So I, I, ooh, that was a word and that was that was a story um in relationship to that. The last piece that that stood out also, Chris, was that progress is a process. And so sometimes if I go back to your point that that says, hey, I, I didn't know and maybe I didn't necessarily need to know how that was handled, you know, what I interpreted was, okay, if I have this relationship with this person that I want, no, that's not how they lead. That's not the culture they would intend for us to have. And three, that I've either seen them or understand that they are very comfortable having uncomfortable conversations and they handle it in private versus chastising in public. Then it gives me more confidence to say, while I didn't see it and I don't necessarily know the outcomes broadly, I trust that that person did have the conversation that they said they intended to have. And while I don't fully understand the the follow up and the repercussions of that conversation, I can at least trust that when they say I'm going to do it, that they were going to do it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We're going to pivot for our audience and we're going to pivot to the second narrative. And this one is under the the umbrella of leading through inquiry. And so, again, Chris, I'm going to pause. I'm going to turn the keys over to you and walk us through the story and how it shaped you as a leader. Sure. I think this is an ever evolving shaping. And so I because I've been in a number of institutions, I think uh I'm going to say this sarcastically, but it's true, too. I have had the chance to hone this skill very well. And what it is, is when you're coming into situations, and even if it's if you're at the same institution, is when you step into something, the first approach is I need to start asking questions. I don't need to start making assessments. And so it's not that I'm rendering a decision or making a decision immediately on something, but starting to say, I need to know more. I need to understand the why. I need to understand the how. And sometimes in some cultures, that's hard. And especially if you're new at an institution where that has not been the culture and questions are seen a little bit as an affront, like, why are you questioning me? It's just because. Well, the questions are meant for all of us to work through and understand our environment, what we're working with, how we're approaching situations, what we can resolve, what we can't resolve. It's really meant as a guide to walk through how we do our business every day and then how do we make improvements. And Knowing that there are cultures, and I've stepped into some that struggle with that, it's also how do you help those around you to learn that skill of approaching things with a question and not a threatening question, not a question directed at a person or at an area, but a question meant to really understand what's happened. If it's an issue you're addressing, let's get deeper. Let's go deeper into a system, a process, the triggers that happened. If it's a situation with a student, let's go deeper into understanding what went wrong for that student if it was a problem that student encountered, and then whereby can we change what we do to positively alter that experience for other students in the future. But coming at it with a question versus coming at it with trying to resolution right away, I think helps us get a better 
resolution in the end, but also thinking about the fact that a resolution is never the end. It's what's the next question after we get to at least some type of resolution, but there's probably more to ask about that. And some of this is not as, it's simple and it's not. It's mindset. It has to do with growth mindset and it has to do with how we approach things. But I think it is also culture. So it goes back to the earlier story in terms of culture of trust and that it's not threatening to ask questions. And then you also are not weak by asking questions. We aren't all meant to be experts in everything we do. And especially as a senior leader, you're never gonna be expert as at everything. And you're surrounding yourself by people who know more than you. And that only helps you if you're asking questions and gaining from their knowledge. And so really don't try to ever be the expert, always try to ask more questions. And But that can feel like a threat even to the individual sometimes of, I'm asking questions, I don't look very strong. And if you're new to an institution, do you look weak? And I try to think about it as, well, maybe, but I'm only going to get better if I ask a question. I'm not going to get better if I don't try and learn more. And so it's a very personal thing because I'm going through that again as I enter another institution and learning the culture and learning the people and learning what happens. And I often ask, but why? (laughs) Help me know why. And so I tell myself I'm the office of why right now because it's always that. I just need to understand why (laughs) and how. I see you out in public now. I'm going to call you the chief ambassador of why. Yes, uh, I am. And we'll, and we'll have a framework of where that comes from. No, I appreciate, you know, looking at leading through inquiry or questions. Um, one, as frame setting, right? As you are transitioning into a new environment and kind of setting the understanding and the framing of how did we even get here, let alone how are we trying to approach and identify resolution or solution in the process. I also appreciate your connection back to culture because it can be stymieing if you're walking into a culture that is already existing, which we know is is pretty tough to adjust and change. It uh, doesn't happen overnight. And if there's already a culture established where either A, they're expecting you and your role to be an expert and you to just know the answers, or B, that there's a culture that signals that if somebody's asking questions, that defense mechanisms already go up. That's pretty hard to to navigate. And so I also appreciate you kind of sharing that perspective. In this instance, Chris, it prompted a question for me that I want to ask you. Um, and I'm asking selfishly because it took me a while to get to a point where I was comfortable in my own skin on being an expert or not an expert, which doesn't necessarily mean I'm not still going to be in the position to lead. And so can you uh, walk us through uh, your experience? Uh, Was there a particular time in your journey where you moved away from even worrying about how people perceived you uh, if you presented as an expert or, or how people would perceive you if you were leading with inquiry? Like, do you remember when that time kind of position or transition for you where you became confident and comfortable in your own skin? I think it was more of an evolution across all of my transitions from institution to institution and the self-realization of when you're coming into a new place that it doesn't matter if you've had years and years of experience in higher education, you simply are not going to know all the nuances, all the pitfalls, all the politics, all the connections. And 
asking the questions and being open to not being the expert the first time is hard. And then you start to get into some level of practice. I think it really solidified. And some of it had to do with some colleagues who I love are my really good sounding board that I talked to. And when I had the opportunity to move to Purdue at my first VP role, one of the pieces of advice I got was you haven't been in financial aid. You haven't been a university registrar. Yes, you understand the work. You are never going to be the expert. You can go and spend a year in financial aid and still never be the expert because it's so technical. Same with a registrar. The regulations and the connections at a university around curriculum and policy and faculty and teaching, there are so many bounds in the registrar's office that it takes a lot to understand all of those pieces. And the advice was the best thing you can do is surround yourself with people that are willing to help you be the, at least understand you're not the expert, but I, in a meeting with the president, could articulate what I need to articulate in moments where I'm asked about it. And so thankfully, I was fortunate to have a really phenomenal team who realized that we're all at the table because we were expert in something different. And that really was the pivotal piece is having the team that you could rely on so that I'm not an expert, but I need you to help me be what we need when I'm in front of the president or in front of the provost or the trustees. Thank you. Um, the, the three takeaways that I kind of just grasped from that end is one, if you are a person who aspires to lead in a greater capacity, but that greater capacity may require you to oversee areas that, that you've engaged with, but you've never actually done the work in the ways that others from the ground up have, that that's okay. Um, many of us are called to leadership opportunities and presented with those opportunities. And a part of it is our experience and our expertise, but a part of it is our leadership orientation and philosophy, our approach to change, our approach to systems, our, our strategic lens, our, our, our connection and abilities with relationships. And so don't be afraid to step into those opportunities um, because you don't necessarily have 100% of expertise in everything that might be presented in that portfolio. Um, the second piece is thinking about the ability to build a team around you or just tap into the blessings of the team that you're inheriting, right? Um, yeah. In those transitions, there are those instances where, yes, you acknowledge, okay, I, somebody's already given me the the mentorship and the guidance to say, hey, be mindful of how to navigate these things, given you won't ever reach that level of expertise of those experts. And that reminds me of, of experiences that I've had when I transitioned to being able to oversee not only financial aid, but student accounts and billing. Yes. And it was like, okay, how do I demonstrate that I want to learn? How do I demonstrate that I want to be competent so that I can contribute to those conversations at higher levels if that those other individuals with the experience and expertise aren't in position to step up while I step back? And in other instances, how can I be mindful and okay with and to demonstrate to them I'm okay when I need to step back so the experts can step up so that it is most meaningful and the best solution moving forward for the communities? And then the last piece is you know, to the other members, right? To those folks who have the expertise, who may be seeing a new leader come in or seeing a new leader elevate from other portions of your team, it's okay if they don't have the other areas of experience and expertise for, for a reason they were given this opportunity. How do you step alongside them to support them 
and shared your expertise. And when your number is called, be willing to step up to support the broader success of the organization and the team um, and to make sure that you're okay in the ways that you can articulate how you also want to be recognized and celebrated in those moments. Uh, because I think sometimes the perception could be, well, and then you're going to get all of the glory because because I helped you be prepared. And it's like, well, no, we it's OK also to step back and say, no, it wasn't my idea to go with the college tour. It was actually our uh, associate director of admissions idea. And they were actually the one who helped coordinate that project all the way through. So while the trustees may want to give me the accolades and the recognition for yet another great strategy or initiative, this is the opportunity to properly acknowledge the other people that have done that. So I really appreciate you bringing that to light. Yeah. And that last part is so important. I say that to the team all the time. I'm nothing without them and I will never take credit for their areas of expertise. And while sometimes it's just me talking to the trustees, it doesn't mean I'm not also representing that they are the ones from whom this information is coming from. And it's because we have phenomenal people that were able to provide this insight. Amazing. And and one of the things I want to be mindful of is is how intertwined these narratives are and these stories are, even as we transition into the third piece. You know, all of them have these connections around culture. Um, they have these connections around um, navigating spaces when you're not the expert and, and navigating and leading with inquiry. So you can not only build upon your understanding, but also understand the strengths and skill sets of the people that are around you and that will be supporting you in the work. And then lastly, as we transition to this next piece, all of these things also implement or implicate change, uh, right? And so as we transition to the third story, this third story is under the auspice of uh, leading in times of change. And so again, Chris, for the third story, turning the keys over to you, what's the narrative and how has it shaped you as a leader? I think um, there are very few people sitting in institutions right now that don't feel like we're going through a lot of change. I think we're seeing lots of change across all higher ed institutions. The average tenure of presidents and provost has come down somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three years. Every time they turn over, there's changes at an institution. So it, it is the environment that we're starting to have to get very comfortable with. But it is, in my experience, one of the hardest things for higher education to do is to wrap itself around change, embrace change, and navigate through change. And my narrative really comes from having had the opportunity, I'll name him, to work for Mitch Daniels, the president at Purdue. And whether one agreed or not with his leadership style, the one thing he did well there, and the one thing I learned a lot from, was his ability to instill a culture of change. And I always say change is three things, people, process, and systems. And people are the hardest piece to bring through change. Yet somehow, and I know how at Purdue, he did instill a culture amongst the individuals. And sometimes it was a little more heavy handed, but to get that change going and have people in a change mindset so when something was asked, it wasn't that resistance of, oh, no, this is how we do things. You never heard that anymore at Purdue. It was, all right, we got to get this done. How do we do this and execute? But part of that, I believe, really came from the fact that Mitch himself was phenomenal with informing himself. 
And bringing people along helps if in that leadership, they understand that there's information, there's thought, we're giving process, we're giving the intentionality behind it to do the right thing with data, with information, and understanding the implications of where we're headed and what we're doing. That lends itself well to people trusting the process of change. And so watching how he navigated the pandemic in in particular, and how every day when we had a university exec meeting about the pandemic, he came having read since early that morning, every piece of literature he could find out about COVID, about the medical side, about how we were vaccinating, about how people were getting sick. I mean, he read medical pieces on this, which was not his realm. That's not his area of expertise, but really trying to inform himself so that as we made decisions in a rapid paced environment, he was helping to look at every angle and then asking questions back to the inquiry about those things he read to inform our decisions. And it was really a model of this is how you create a culture of change that's not always comfortable, but that people can have a seat in and be able to come along. Processes and systems, we learned in the pandemic, those things can change when we have to. It's the people that we have to bring with it and we have to help see where we're going. And I really believe it's that being informed, articulating that information and having the confidence to share that information as you're navigating it so that individuals who also have to take action understand why we're doing things and where we're going. That was very pivotal to get to work with a leader such as Mitch in those really tumultuous times. And I'm sure there's lots of examples across higher education because we all went through that. But I think Mitch really brought a lens and I guess like or love or hate his his leadership, I do believe that there was something really to be learned from how he got through that. Shout out to Mitch Daniels. You know, one of the things that stood out to me is kind of this, this value of a well-rounded leader as you were sharing uh, your experiences about Mitch. And what I mean by that is, is to your point, it, there could have, there was likely somebody else at that leadership table who had the background and expertise on what was happening as COVID was was unfolding and we're moving further and further away from ground zero. But he took the time to shape his competence, to contribute to his competence so that he can be an informed leader in navigating the conversation. Doesn't mean he still wouldn't um, lean into the expertise that he had, but to show up informed in that way uh, speaks volumes to me uh, as I think about leadership and what I look for in those that are in position to lead me or to lead alongside me is this notion of always spending time as a life learner to shape yourself to be able to contribute to informed decision making. You know, the other piece that stood out was kind of this notion of of I know you you put the three pieces there and one of those pieces was people. And what I wrote down second was how are the people along for the journey? And so, you know, when I think about our roles as leadership and leadership and around change, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you, Chris, is in your times of change stemming from that, whether it's in relationship to how Mitch was helping lead Purdue through those uh, tumultuous times, or even as you've transitioned into this new inaugural role, 
How do you help folks that are in your care navigate change? How are you engaging them in that way? Yeah, that's a great question because we are starting to go through quite a bit of change here. And I see the uncertainty in individuals' faces. I see the questions and the needing to see the vision. And some of it is not just hearing from me, but hearing from those who are engaged in this across the division to share their different aspects and how it all interconnects. And so in part and parcel, we had an all EM meeting just this morning to really talk with the whole division about what they see changing, how it fits together and where it's taking us, because I want them to feel like they're part of that movement. Each one of them has a place in where we're headed. And ultimately, as I said, it's it's the student experience. We're here for students. It's the student experience. And so if we think about that always being our end goal, we always know where we're headed, even when something's changing that we don't understand why it's changing. Ask yourself, okay, if it's changing and I don't know why, then if this is going to impact the student experience, how does that help the student experience? Because then they can start to also unpack how we're changing in benefit of the student. And so it's bringing everybody into this common vision toward the student. And not that they didn't have it before, but this hyper-focused vision of students have an expectation of us as an institution now that we maybe aren't meeting because we're not Netflix, we're not Amazon. We don't have the tech capabilities that some of these big mogul companies have that students expect us to act like but how do we get part of the way there and give them the information, give them the interaction with us that they want while helping our staff to learn how to get through the technology pieces that get us there? The big question right now is AI. Where and how do we embrace AI? What do we do to leverage it? How do we work with students when they're using AI? It's a huge question. It's a massive change that we don't get to choose is going to happen or not. It's happened. And it's bringing us along to say, all right, let's think about the student experience and then bring AI into that, bring technology into that, bring our processes into that, and then consider what change has to happen as we move toward that student experience. Shout out to our audience and to your community as you work through these changes and keep students at the center, keeping the student, the student experience centered in all of that. And also recognizing that there's a lot of dialogue and, and uncertainty around AI that could probably have its own show in itself. And I know there are ongoing conferences and things every day about how AI is changing our work, let alone uh, the rest of society. So I appreciate you lifting that up. You know, for our audience, we've had the opportunity to talk about three uh, impactful stories. We've We've talked about uncomfortable conversations. We've talked about leading with inquiry and we've talked about leading through change. And so, you know, as we get ready to conclude, I want to make sure we're recognizing and lifting Chris up and giving her her flowers for sharing her experiences with us, what shaped her um, and whether it's negative experiences that has turned into a positive and how she's helped shape and lead others or positive examples that she's seen uh, in terms of Mitch Daniels and seeing how he approached change. And again, uh, I'm a cheerleader just in hearing the narrative because of what it meant to continue to see leaders step into the the effort of being well-rounded, even in the areas that aren't in their portfolio or not a part of what they're being called to do necessarily, but to be informed as much as possible. And so thank you, Chris, for your time with us. You know, as we get ready 
made the transition, what word of wisdom or words of wisdom might you uh, impart to our audience uh, as we get ready to, to step away from the conversation? Yeah, thank you for having me. And I thought long and hard about my closing words of wisdom. They're not mine. I'm stealing them. They are actually, again, another story, a beautiful story of leadership. I, The provost I had the privilege to work for at Purdue shared this as he left Purdue, the provost role at Purdue anyway, and it is that all work is noble. And his father used to say that all the time. And my former provost embodies this in everything he does. And it's that understand the value of everybody in the organization and what they contribute top to bottom, because there is no one person who is insignificant. Everybody contributes. And I told the team this this morning because it's important for me them to hear it, I think, is that they each play an important role in the student's life and they can't think that just what they do on a daily basis is just coming to do paperwork or push things along, but it really does have meaning. And I value very much everybody in the organization top to bottom and what they contribute. And there is nobody who's beneath me and there's no work that I think is beneath me. And neither would I hope that any of my leaders will below me or around me think any differently from that. Thank you, Chris. And that is quite the way to kind of conclude our conversation. Everyone contributes value and everybody should be able to see themselves not only in the strategy and the implementation and the day to day and fully understand how they're having an impact, because I think that's meaningful to them as well. So so thank you. So to our audience, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or are transitioning in between meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have for yourself each day or each week, or as you transition between work and the time that you have with yourself or your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating what we've learned through these extraordinary, impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Hughes of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what Hughes will I use today and which will I seek to further develop? Thank you. Thank you.